Our scripture reading today is from Colossians 4, verses 2 to 6. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Debbie, for reading this morning's scripture for us. Uh, so at, during the 1030 service, uh, we are going to be uh, installing elders and deacons, commissioning deacon, a deaconess, and, um, and I think about this, so, so there's a point in that service when I'm going to get like extra formal, and I'm going to talk about public vows and use language that it is not the kind of language that, I, that you normally hear from me. Um, and it's because we're part of a church that belongs to a denomination, the Presbyterian Church in America, that has, uh, as, as any denomination does, a system of, of oversight and leadership structures and that sort of thing that provide accountability for the entire church. It, it provides for the entire church an accountability structure for what comes out of a pulpit. Um, it provides a lot of other things, but, it, but what it, one of the things that it means that's really dear to me as a pastor is it means that I am subject to theological commitments and convictions and, and approaches to handling God's word that if I, if I break in a heretical direction, you all as the church have a recourse to get me out of here, which is what you should do, by the way. If I ever start preaching heresy here from the gospel or from the pulpit, which I, I pray that I never do, Lord have mercy. But I think about this and I think, okay, if you've been around me for any amount of time, I, I'm not a super formal person. I'm pretty conversational in the way that I talk. I'm a big fan of the local church. Uh, I grew up going to mass. I grew up in a Catholic church and then I was part of a non-denominational charismatic world for a while uh, in rural Indiana. And, and so a lot of my upbringing and, and experience has been where, where church leadership was, was either so structured that there was a pope or kind of not really that structured at all. And I never knew a Presbyterian when I was a kid. I, I, so I come, I come by this honestly, like I'm, I'm here on purpose uh, as a part of this denomination, and I'm glad to be here, but I, it's not my roots. And so I live in this place where I'm conversational and maybe a little informal. I'm wearing jeans, you know, when I preach. And yet we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna ordain uh, officers to the church, and we're going to speak language that's coming from our book of church order. And in my mind, especially the older I get, I really appreciate the range of, of the kinds of things that we do as a part of the church, from the really familiar to the pretty formal. Uh, I find it comforting because it, it's a reminder to me that the body of Christ is something that doesn't belong just to us. It's something that we're a part of as a church. 
And God in his kindness brings order to the church and raises up people to serve the church in a particular way. And in our context, as Presbyterians, we have a Presbyterian system of government where there are elders and deacons and deaconesses, and, we, and so we're, we're bringing them in. And it's, and it's a comfort to me because while we'll be formal in the way that we do this at the 1030 service, the beauty of it is Trevor Pavey, who's going to become an elder, Yvonne Nekrasov, who's going to become a deacon, and Pam Gilder, who's going to become a deaconess, are people that I just love. I love dearly, and I know them, and they know me, and they know you, and you know them, and, and we're part of this family together where the Lord has, has knit our lives together. We serve with one another. We worship together. We pray for one another. And so I'm excited about that happening at the 1030 service, which you're all welcome to stick around for. It will, it will happen before the sermon. If you're trying to calculate, can I stick around for it and it not be really awkward? There'll, there'll be a time, there'll be a moment where you can peace out on that. But, um, but anyway, I, I just was thinking about it and I was thinking what I love about the church is I love the way that the Lord brings specific people together for a season of their lives where they walk a road as, as, a, as a local congregation. And he brings people in where, where folks in the church look around and they say, that person, I recognize that person as a leader in this community and I want to put their name forward to become an elder or a deacon or a deaconess. And then the congregation, and then they go through a training process and, and it's a lengthy, involved training process. And then when they get through that training process, then we as a church gather back with the recommendation of the session to vote on them, uh, becoming officers. And this is the last part of that process of that. And, and so I think it was a, almost a year ago when we put forth names and here we are uh, finally seeing this happen. And while there will be formality to it and order to it because we're Presbyterians, doggone it, and that's what we do. Um, there's also so much just affection and familiarity and anticipation of the ways that the Lord is going to continue to strengthen and build his church through the, the service and the leadership of these three individuals. And so I'm really excited about that coming up. And it really dovetails nicely with the passage that Debbie just read for us because this is the kind of passage that she just read where you can read it in a couple of different ways. You could read this passage... Hang on, before I get into that, there's something I brought up that I wanted to mention that wasn't in our announcements this morning, but it's really important to me that I mention it. So let's put a pin in that. Um, okay, so November 9th, and a couple of, couple of nights from now, um, at the Old Hickory campus, Parker and Natalie Milliken, uh, who are part of our community here, uh, they're Cool Springs people, um, are going to be uh, talking about um, their, they're going to be missionaries in England with Surge, which used to be World Harvest. Um, so they're going to be going, and, and this summer, the plan is this summer, they're going to go off and uh, move, move to London, uh, or just on the outskirts of London. And so on Wednesday, November 9th at 6.30 at the Old Hickory location, uh, they're going to be there to share more information about what they're going to be doing. Um, and so I, I really want to encourage you to go, if, especially if you want to support them. Um, our church supports Parker and Natalie, and we're going to continue to support them, and we're going to be their church that sends them out. Um, but I also know that as missionaries are raising support, there's a lot of support raising that needs to happen. If you would like to support them, um, 
reach out, send me an email and I'll connect you with them. Uh, but I'm really excited for them and what they're going to be doing and the way that they're going to be bringing the gospel into a place where, where they're going to be building something new um, in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a setting uh, that is uh, thirsty for hope. And so, um, so I wanted to make sure that I mentioned that to know that you have an opportunity to support a Cool Springs family that's going to be packing up and moving over across the pond, as they say, um, to serve the Lord in England. Um, and Wednesday night, you can go hear more about that if you'd like. And if I've already told you enough, and you're like, I don't need to go Wednesday night, uh, how do I support them? Just send me an email. I'll help you do that. Okay. We can read today's passage in a couple of different ways. We can look at it, in fact, you can do this with a lot of scripture, where you could look at it and you could say, Paul is telling individual people in this passage how to imitate Christ. So he's saying, you there, be watchful in prayer. You there, speak clearly. You, pray for me. You, be gracious in your speech. Or we could read these verses with the understanding that Paul is addressing a congregation. He's speaking to a plural, not a singular. He's speaking to a group of people. So he's saying, you, you local church, you outpost of the body of Christ, as a community, continue in steadfast, watchful prayer for the advance of the gospel. You, as a community, think about the clarity and the kindness of the witness that you want to have before the watching world. You, Christ Presbyterian Church Cool Springs, care about how you appear to outsiders and seek to be hospitable toward them. On, on this Sunday, when we receive new leaders who have been nominated by members of this congregation into their roles of elder, deacon, and deaconess, let's use this occasion to remember that a church is so much more than just a collection of individuals who all go to the same place at the same time to individually consume a product. Scripture speaks of the church as a body, as one body, as the beloved bride of Christ himself. And so as we apply these verses to our lives, we do so, yes, as individuals, of course, but we do so also as a church. And so what I want to do is I want to walk through, and I'm going to be pretty brief this morning, but I want to walk through these, this text verse by verse. And so with verse 2, we have Paul saying, continue steadfastly in prayer and be watchful in prayer with thanksgiving. Notice, notice that the first thing is that the focus is Godward. It's always Godward. It always starts with him. That anything that we do in the name of the Lord, we do before him. He is the audience of our worship. He's the audience of our service. And so Paul is telling us, in the way that you advance the witness of Christ, in the way that you serve others, in the way that you bear witness to the gospel, bathe all of it in prayer. Bathe your life in prayer. Be watchful. But he says, be watchful in prayer. Be grateful in prayer. Don't just be grateful, but be grateful in prayer. Draw near to the Lord in prayer. 
And here's the thing is you can be watchful. You know this, I know this. You can be watchful without being prayerful. Um, There's a peril though there. And the peril is that if you're watchful without being prayerful, then you might begin to trust a false perspective that is not informed by the Lord and his wisdom, but is really informed by the voices of the world that you're in. And those voices are not always going to be God-honoring voices. They might be, and often are, particularly in our moment, voices that tell you, you have enemies. You've never met them in person, but they're your enemies. And part of your watchfulness in this world is to have enemies. And when you have enemies, what you do with them is you hold them in contempt in your heart. As individuals, being watchful but not being prayerful can lead us to forming a list of enemies in our minds. Political pundits, politicians themselves, people who don't do what you do, people who educate their children in a way that you don't like, people who uh, cut you off in traffic, people who um, are not Christians. It can be easy for Christians, if we're not being prayerful in the way that we think, to think that all non-Christians are somehow against us, which is not the case. But we can begin to regard people as enemies in our minds, and what we can do is we can take people that we don't even know and we can turn them into these cartoonish fools that represent the weakest caricatures of the views or the ideas that we oppose. And that kind of watchfulness is not helpful. And we'll see why in the rest of this text. It doesn't work. But what Paul is contending for with us, be watchful in prayer, be watchful, guard the gospel, guard orthodoxy, by all means, but do it prayerfully. Do it prayerfully with your eyes fixed on Christ and who he is and what he's done for you. To understand that you're no better than anybody else. It's important for us, church, to be careful to guard the character and the reputations of others in the ways that we speak and the ways that we interact, especially those that we disagree with, since they're the ones we would have the greatest potential to mischaracterize. As a church, being watchful in prayer means that prayer is part of the rhythm of what we do together. And I will tell you this, we have a lot of room to grow there, Christ Pres Cool Springs. We have a lot of room to grow there. But even further, I will tell you this, I have a lot of room to grow there as a person. I also have a lot of room to grow there as a leader. I don't, I would give myself a C minus in leading this congregation prayerfully. And some of you may say, you're spotting yourself a little credit. And others of you might say, oh, why are you being so hard on yourself? Because we don't have prayer gatherings. I'll start there. And that's on me. Ask me about that from time to time if we don't start doing something like that, if we don't have a way to do that. Because we're supposed to be collectively watchful in prayer. When watchfulness and gratitude inform our prayer, great things can happen. 
We can be a church that loves and revels in the kindness of God together. We can welcome people into our fellowship without being afraid of what they may believe when they come through the door. We can celebrate what God is doing in our midst. And we can cling closely to orthodox Christian faith, but doing so with a posture of humility that recognizes that the Lord establishes what's true. And if the Lord establishes something as true, it's true and it doesn't matter what the loudest voices of our cultural moment are saying to us. Beginning our watchfulness in prayer sets us in a posture of love and gratitude. And from there then, we keep a watch on our own hearts and we keep a watch on our community. Then in verses three and four, he says, at the same time, pray for us that God might open a door for his word to go out into the world. And Paul says he wants this to happen so that he can declare the mystery of Christ for which he's in prison. This is the mystery of the gospel of Jesus Christ going out to Jew and Gentile alike. And so Paul is praying that he would make the gospel clear, and he says, which is how we ought to speak. And he gives them something very specific to pray for for him. This is great counsel for us. As we pray, let us pray specifically. Let us intercede for people by name. Let's get to know one another. Let's get to know each other's stories and hopes and struggles and pains. So right now in this room, I know of several men that are in pain because we all went on a hike. We just got back from it yesterday and you're looking at a guy who's in pain. I know the pains, but it's not just physical pain. We get to know each other's sorrows. We get to know each other's, like women. Here's a great one. You probably know people by name, even maybe in, in, a, in a church like ours where lots of babies are born over the years, uh, women who may struggle particularly with kind of postpartum depression. If you know people by name where that's their struggle, you can't over-encourage them. You, anytime you reach out to somebody because you have this information about them, because they've shared it with you, it's one of the ways you can specifically care. It's one of the ways you can be watchful in your prayer. Say, I pray for you, but I'm also just keeping an eye on you because I care about you and I want to know how you're doing. As we pray, let's get specific. And we pray for God to work through other people too. We're not in competition with other churches. We're not in competition with one another even here. I love that Paul prays to be clear uh, because the apostle Peter wrote about Paul uh, in one of his letters where he said there are some things in them, some things in Paul's letters that are hard to understand. Peter said that about Paul. And then he said, there are things that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and the unstable twist to their own destruction as they do with other scriptures. I love this verse. I love that Peter the apostle tells the church, and it's in the canon of scripture, that there are things that Paul says that are hard to understand. What an affirmation for we who read the book of Romans or the book of Colossians or these letters that Paul has written to say, I'm going to need to read that a second time and a third time. Peter's not insulting Paul. 
at all. What he's doing is he's recognizing there's a complexity here. There's a complexity to the articulation of the gospel, to articulate the gospel clearly. And Peter even notes that part of the the, the danger of that complexity is people will sometimes want to twist it. And Peter wants what Paul wants, and that is clarity for the sake of the hearer. That we should want to be clear in the way that we proclaim the gospel. Why? Because clarity is kindness. To be clear is to be kind. We live in a golden age right now, I think, of, of inspirational sounding quotes, inspirational sounding tweets, bits that seem to come across as spiritually insightful but sometimes don't make any sense at all if you analyze them just even a little bit. So I've been researching a particular artist, and I'm not going to mention this artist's name, but this artist famously said this, my life shines with God's radiant blessings when my heart is the color of joy. I'll read it again. My life shines with God's radiant blessings when my heart is the color of joy. Is that spiritual sounding? Yes. Is it related to his field as an artist? He mentions color, so I suppose. Is it coherent? I have no idea what that means. Like, I really don't know what it means for my heart to be the color of joy. I don't know what that means. The admonition here for Paul saying to the church, pray that I would speak with clarity because that's how we ought to speak. Is he saying, let's not, let's not get clever. Let's not be so clever or so inspirational sounding that we lose coherence. When Jesus talked about how to bear witness to him, one of the things he said is he said, let the little children come unto me. And this is the paradox of the gospel, is that it has a simplicity to it that a child should be able to get, and it has a complexity to it that has confounded theologians and scholars for generations. And those things are both the case. Pray that the Lord would make your witness individually, but also our witness collectively as a church clear, clear for the hearer, that they might know the mystery of grace found only in the work of Christ. It's one of the reasons we hang paintings in this church is because there's clarity to them. They help. They don't give everything, but they give us some clarity. They give us kind of something to absorb and to take in with some clarity. Okay, he goes on in verses five and six. He says, walk, and I love this, and let this be as convicting as it needs to be for you. Okay? He says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. It should matter to us how we walk among outsiders. Outsiders being non-Christians, people who are not part of the church. How should we walk? Well, the way Paul says it is he says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. So how do we walk in wisdom? We walk toward outsiders. We walk toward them in grace. There is no place for us versus them in the body of Christ. There is no place for us to see non-Christians as our enemies. We walk in grace toward them. 
It isn't our job to preach Christ in order to condemn the unrepentant. That is the Lord's work. What we do is we are to appeal to the unrepentant, to appeal to them to believe. And this is what makes the best use of our time, the limited time that we have as his witnesses. And it takes wisdom. This is why it's so important for us to begin in a posture of prayer. And what kind of prayer? Grateful prayer, right? The prayer of gratitude. To begin there in our ministering and witnessing to others means that we're understanding the grace that we've been shown. And then Paul goes on to describe what walking in wisdom toward outsiders looks looks like, in case, in case we could use more definition, which I think we can. He says, let your speech to non-Christian people be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer each other. Paul, who could be fierce, who could be confrontational, finger in the chest bone of the religious leaders, is saying, let your speech be gracious and seasoned with salt. Care about who you are to the watching world. And again, Paul gets specific. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. What does salting food do? It doesn't just make food taste salty, right? But it draws out the flavors of the food that are already there in it. Well-seasoned words frame the elements of our message in an appealing way, not in a condemning way. Even though condemnation is part of it. It's part of what we're talking about. Well-seasoned words, it's something that's impossible to do if our rhetoric is always adversarial, if our rhetoric is always belittling to those with whom we disagree. And so here's what he says. I mean, this is what he says in these verses. Pray, start there. Be watchful, watch. Give thanks. Speak with clarity and speak graciously with words that are seasoned with salt. And so there's a tension, there's a both and here, right? He's saying, yes, be eager to bear witness to Christ. Yes, cling to historic, orthodox, creedal, biblical Christian faith. But don't start from an adversarial posture. Yes, engage others, but spend time with the Lord first. Yes, be convicting, but from a posture of humble gratitude for the grace and the mercy that you have been shown. Our new life in Christ is not merely for our own pleasure. We are witnesses for Christ. We're called to bear witness to him. And this passage is about how to do that, how to live before the watching world, not only as individuals, but as a local church body. And so may the Lord lead us well in that. And may he use our new elder deacon and deaconess, Trevor, Yvonne, and Pam, to help serve us all in that holy calling. That's, that's my prayer for us. Let me, let me pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for passages like this um, that temper us when we might want to approach being your witnesses in the world as a, as, a, as a sanctioning to be aggressive and to be condescending and to be condemning. 
Lord, instead, you call us to be your witnesses in the world, but to start from a position of prayer, of gratitude before you, and watchfulness that's a watchfulness of keeping, keeping watch over our own hearts and our own communities. Um, yes, in preserving fidelity to your word, but also in preserving a posture of humility and graciousness toward others. Lord, would you help us to do that? Would you show us how to do that? Would you continue to deepen our desire for that to be what marks us as a community? I thank you for the gift of the local church. I thank you that, that you care about us enough to call us to order, to not just be a chaotic whatever we feel in the moment, but to have, but to have accountability, to have oversight, to have recourse for people sitting in, in, the, in, the, in the room to, to, to take action if a pastor becomes heretical. Uh, Lord, I thank you for all of that. And Lord, I pray that you would lead us with a lot of humility uh, as we move forward, understanding that to be part of the body of Christ uh, is a great gift that you have given us. And it's also a, a, sacred, a sacred belonging. That's an eternal one. And so, Lord, lead us forward as your witnesses in this world. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.